This is We Can't Call It the Enterprise, a podcast that is not about Star Trek. It is, in fact, for the most part, about Stargate. I'm Valerie. I co-host the show with my friend Scott. We started this show um, in early 2019 when I was moving away, and we wanted a way to kind of stay in touch and a project and excuse to do that. We're both really big fans of the podcast The Greatest Generation, and that was often a thing that we'd listen to together when we would hang out and cook food and whatnot. So kind of in the spirit of that, we have decided to build our own show heavily inspired, for sure, by The Greatest Generation and kind of build our own porch to play on. So the 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 nominal joke is that we um, would have made a Star Trek podcast, but the market's so saturated and we didn't want to, you know, outright copy Greatest Gen. But we definitely are very big Star Trek fans, perhaps at least as much so as Stargate fans. And there will be many, many bits of Star Trek showing up in this show. So in 2021, we are relaunching the show, I guess you could say. We've been recording it um, semi-regularly since the beginning of 2019, but editing is a very slow process that I often haven't had the time for. So I would suggest that if you're very fussed about production quality, maybe start with episode seven or later, because that's when um, I've started putting a lot more time into production and we've started to figure our audio issues out more. I will definitely say that um, neither of us works with um, audio professionally, so there's a very long learning curve for every single dimension of audio, but I mean, ultimately, this this is our little, this is our porch to have fun on. And if you want to have fun with us, we would love to have you on the porch. Before we get into this, what are you drinking? Oh, right. I need to go get my whiskey. You should go do that then. Hold on. Let me, uh, I'm just going to go get some whiskey. I'll be right back. Yeah, I have a, a nice rye uh, whiskey that Grace got for me uh, for my birthday, along with a book about cocktails. There's also a large ice cube uh, from the ice cube tray of king-sized ice cubes that she also got me for my birthday. Pretty very, impressive. Yeah, very thematic gift. Don't know if that's coming through or not. Yeah, I heard that. You can kind of hear okay. the, the ice clink for, for me. Before we actually get into the episode, I don't think you've ever told me, how did you get into Stargate in the first place? Um, I, I don't know. I just always watched it with uh, my parents when I was a kid. It's one of the first shows I ever remember watching. I still, like to this day, say indeed pretty frequently uh, because of... <laughs> Because Teal'c is like an inspirational figure in my life. <laughs> the Stoic, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I'm the opposite of Stoic, but I mean, I like the idea of being Stoic. <laughs> and Teal'c is a pretty good example of that. Indeed. Indeed. I think I told you the story when we went out drinking that last time, but I got into Stargate in a very roundabout way because a game that I was playing with Ben and with a bunch of my other high school friends had this very 
huge and very, very buggy and crashy Stargate mod. And we eventually like went, wait a minute, this like, there's a show about this? I guess let's check it out. Yeah, that was Gary's mod? Yes, it was. Yeah, man, classic Gary's mod. I remember making like little Lego, little Prometheuses out of Lego with my friend Javen uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, flying them around the backyard. It was good stuff. Yeah, that that shit was my start into programming. Really? Yeah, I guess yeah. Gary. Yeah, I guess you know what? I did some programming. I I had the Garden of Eden creation kit for Fallout, and I did a tiny bit of. I mean, it, it wasn't really programming, but I created some mods. I mean, like, first off, there's just the wire mod thing, then there's, like, in-game scripting you can do. To, like, Ben has this very obnoxiously complicated thing where you, like, throw a computer chip down on an object and it turns it into, like, a hovercraft. Ha! <laughs> yeah. So, when I first started this episode, for the first couple minutes, I thought, uh-oh, what have I gotten myself into? I don't know. I feel. I think I felt pretty neutral about the start. I've seen this many times. Um, just like you know, th you throw on the first episode of Stargate or whatever, and then you kind of figure you're not into it enough to finish it. But I don't know. So I guess I'm used to it, and like the shock value has worn off. But I mean, yeah, like I mean, it's. I guess yeah, it's pretty lame. Like the the sh the whole shooting match. Uh, like the I don't know. I, the bad guys are so overdressed and overdramatic. It's like, and they're, they're like doing the goose step. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. I really liked how the number of times when they wanted to flag that someone was a bad guy, they did like a quick little power pose forward and had the eye flash happen. Yeah, I yeah, they really, you can't miss that these are the evil guys. Like every little thing that they do just is just like, holding a neon sign with an alarm going that says, I'm evil. Just in case you walked in th into the room just now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's like that every scene with the Gould, like they have their own music, like the Jaffa when they walk, like it makes that weird sound as they do the goose step. Yeah, you know, it's like, like the clanking armor, despite the fact they're mostly like wearing leather. They, they have to, I feel like that, yeah, that's the thing, like that... That sound that they make when they walk has to be added in later. It's just, I don't know. It's just crazy, and every like movement that they do is overdone. Like it's just so overdone. Um, but I don't know. That's part of me loves it though. I don't know why, but it's just I don't know. Part of me just loves it. So I think you're the bigger Stargate fan here because you reference seeing this a couple times. I've seen like all the series all the way through once and I've seen like little duplicate snippets here and there so you probably have the advantage on memory compared to me probably yeah I've I've watched it I, I've, I've watched all of SG1 probably three or four times um, impressive yeah Atlantis just twice uh, once when I was a kid and once when I was an adult so we get our intro of the guards having the card game in the gate room and rather like with Star Trek, you know that some bad shit's about to go down if there's people on duty having a card match. Yeah, of course. So we get a dial-in with very uh, interesting special effects. You've got like the sheet billowing around before the dial even starts, yeah. which we never we never see that kind of behavior ever again. It's just purely to look spooky. Yeah, 
even the Stargate is being dramatic. Honestly, like I, I kind of made the joke about regretting getting back into Stargate for the first couple minutes. It really felt like the first maybe 20, 30 minutes of the episode was written by someone else entirely because like it looked and felt totally different. I wonder mm. if they'd like snipped it out of a like V1 of a pilot or something. Um, I think they were just, there's certain things that become commonplace later on, like the gate opening, uh, that, that is still new and exciting at this point, uh, which I think, I think that's part of where it comes from is that it's just, everything is so overdone. Um, like even the dead bodies are covered in blood, which we never really see again after like this episode, which makes sense. Cause you would think that those staff weapons would cauterize wounds. I mean, I don't want to get too mean about the special effects, but I also really want to point out, I made a specific note of how gooey the Stargate looked. Because you have that close-up on people going through a couple times, and just, like, the way they did the CGI, compared with how close it was, it looks like you're coming out of, like, Play-Doh or something. Yeah, I actually have no idea what they made it out of. I figure it's probably some sort of plastic. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely want to find that out, too, because, like, especially... I think it was like early 90s it's not too bad of a special effect like i i poke at the texture of it but they have a lot of really cool shots throughout the series of like all kinds of angles and stuff going in and out of the gate yeah i yeah i'm not sure it's got the whole water thing going on i thought i think the staff weapon uh fx still hold up reasonably well today um i don't know it, again though a little bit overdone but yeah i mean I mean, it, it's just the acting of, of Apophis in the in this scene yeah, just, that's, that's just very dramatic. <laughs> yeah, it's it's indicative of what you're going to get for, like, the next seven seasons of the Goa <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah, it's like they, they just kept running out of... Anyway, we'll, we'll get to that later, but yeah. Oh, yeah, we will, we'll pick apart the uh, macro plot stuff of death, <laughs> so... Once once that happens, where we have the... What what kind of military people are they? Uh, I don't know. Losers? <laughs> These ones? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, drinking and having a poker game. And they literally, like, their dead bodies are lying in piles of, like, potato chips. Like, it's literally, like... It's like... I know, I really like the sound <laughs> It's like, ex- they're, like, lying in piles of exploded ruffles. Like, that's the worst. <laughs> So once that once that person gets kidnapped, we go over to Jack, and this is where I got excited because now this is this is my guy. He's back, yeah, or at least not back yet because he doesn't want to be back. He definitely has like a fuck you attitude. Like I'm retired, go away. I mean, he basically keeps that. He keeps the fuck you attitude the entire time that he's in yeah, the show. Yeah, that's why we all like it. Just it just depends as to like what the fuck you is about. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. In this case, it's fuck you. I'm retired. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he ends up uh, he ends up going back to the base and going down a huge number of elevators, and uh, they they end up in front of these de- uh, these dead Jaffa, and, and now O'Neill's attitude changes from like a fuck you to uh, I've been there and I've done that. Um, he kind of holds he kind of <laughs> holds the staff weapon. The you know the general's like. Have you ever seen this before? And he does like the like a badass thing with it, and the general's like, "So you have seen this before?" And he's like, "Yeah, 
like I don't know. He just kind of has this like um, this is boring me sort of thing going on, and I think it's I think it's probably like signaling to the viewer like uh, remember there was a movie like maybe you should go watch that. I mean, it's also signaling here's your badass for the show. Yeah, that's also true. <laughs> yep. I've got to say, like, once he started getting marched around the base, I started feeling so nostalgic. Like, I know that the gate room is the iconic part, but something about all those, like, random hallways and the elevators just, like, has a very cozy feel to it. Because you see so much of that throughout the series in, like, all the little B and C stories. Yeah, that's true. The walking down the same cement corridor <laughs> in the same cement room for the next decade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rather like with, like... Farscape and Stargate, or not Stargate, Star Trek and so on. I'm always curious as to like how much corridor they actually had. Like how much was redressing or being clever with angles versus like how much it was just a large complex. Yeah, I kind of wonder that too. I mean, I figure they probably have like two or three locations of just of just a cement base set. So now the, uh, the chews on the other ass and Jack's the one who's getting... Uh, in some shit because the general knows that he's lying he's got a whole prisoner's he's got like a whole prisoner's dilemma thing going on like kowalski is in the other room and jack's like what what are they doing here (laughs) I, i never thought about that but yeah that's a very good lineup it's it's very fun because it's not just hammond getting aggro with him it's hammond like adopting the o'neill attitude yeah yeah, giving him a taste of his own medicine. He's being a bit of a prick, though, that, that I feel like we don't really see a lot from General Hammond after this. Yeah, usually he's more of like a cozy father or uncle type He figure. is, but he all he always is like the you-need-to-follow-orders kind of guy. And he's always like, I follow orders, but O'Neill does not follow orders. And he kind of like levels with that a bit as time goes on. But for now, it's like... You know, he's still kind of pissed off about how this guy doesn't respect authority in general. Yeah, so Hammond's threat is that because obviously their bomb didn't work before, he's going to send a Mark V bomb, which somehow I suspect is not a real thing, through the Stargate instead. um, And this kind of catches Jack up. Yeah, I mean, Jack, you know, thinks that even a Mark IV would be way overkill. Uh... Because he doesn't want to murder, you know, his old friends on Abydos. Um, so they decide that instead of a Mark V bomb, or even a Mark I bomb, that a box of Kleenex would uh, probably do the trick. Uh, and this is after... That's like a, that's like a Mark negative one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I like, like, Jack keeps his, like, because they send it through and then, you know, the, I don't know, I forget who the, the prick major guy is, but he's like... Uh, it's like, well, what if they, what if the aliens find it? And Jack's like, well, they could be blowing their noses in like a similar, just kind of <laughs> like double middles, like double middle fingers kind of attitude. Um, but anyway, yeah, there's also in this scene, there's some Jack Kowalski bromance going on where they're finishing each other's sentences and everything. Pretty adorable. We kind of end that scene with uh, Major Carter walking in and and you know Jack O'Neill having his classic, oh, but she's a scientist, which is basically a trope uh, where the military people are like, ah, oh, well, Mister Scientist, 
you're just gonna get in my way. I was very nervous about that scene when I'd watched Stargate for the first time because like it's such a boring trope and they, Stargate manages to do it in such a fun exasperated way but like I was not looking forward to the idea of like the typical the scientist just gets ignored the entire time trope. Yeah and I, I think they, they did a good job with uh, the major Carter character in the same way it's, it's similar to like Seven of Nine on Voyager where they avoid making like the female lead. Oh uh, Seven of Nine did not avoid Barbie. that. Uh, I mean it, Did you mean Janeway? No, I meant seven of nine. I think I think she, I think they did a good job, relatively speaking, of avoiding making her a space Barbie. It's similar. I think it's the same thing with uh, with Major Carter in Stargate or Captain Carter at this point, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Everyone's kind of mansplaining to her like, oh well, it's like if you pull eight G's in a fighter jet over the Gulf or whatever, and she's like, yeah, no, I've done that. I'm just as badass as you are, but also way smarter. And she just kind of like, it's like she almost big dogs everyone, and then General Hammond kind of roasts O'Neill, like, oh yeah, like she's just, basically she's just better than you. And then everyone laughs. Uh, So that was good. Yeah, it's a very effective character intro because like, you immediately go, who's this new character? Should I care about her? Yep, yep, I'm going to care about this person now. I remember that scene being far more awkward than it was. Perhaps I'm thinking of, like, one of the scenes where they go back in time or something and, like, go through everything again. Because I remember, like, a very badly written version of that for some reason. I, well, yeah, I think well, it's it's the line, uh, just because my reproductive organs are on the inside and not the outside doesn't mean, I don't know, something, something. And I think that they replay exactly. that. One of the last episodes of the series basically plays that line again, except in a version where the whole team is basically they're like the lovable loser trope. So hang on, was was there that line? Because I was specifically listening for it and I didn't hear it. Oh, I could have. I thought that was in this episode. Maybe it. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But yeah, that's. I mean, that's the line. I thought it was this one, but. That's just such a like writers giving themselves a pat on the back line. What they do this? They do they go back in time and pull up an old thing. No, no. (laughs) I mean that's that's quite something. God, what we wrote was so good. Let's do it. Let's let's do the exact same thing again. It was so good. Let's do it with puppets. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do the evil. Let's do the same thing, but in the evil twin universe. So now they've made contact with Daniel. They've got Sam on board. So now. They decide they're going to go through and try to find Daniel. And they find him immediately in a scene that confuses me a little bit. Like, do they just kind of live in the pyramid? Yeah, that was good. That that was good, yeah. I mean, he does kind of explain it away like, well, we always have people here 36 hours a day because, you know, this is an alien planet and all. Um, but yeah, I think. What do you think of the the effect where they're going through the wormhole? Because to me, it kind of looks like, I kind of. It's like how I imagine the inside of a butt would feel, like going through a large intestine. It. I mean, it doesn't seem super pleasant. They definitely like they play it off more heavily in the first couple episodes, and it's like, oh yeah, I guess like the characters are badasses, and they just like walk through the thing. They meet Daniel and it awkwardly goes to a dinner scene as a way to, like, get some of the exposition out. And this is basically where they kind of recap that, like, 
they basically do like the second part of the recap for hey there's this movie that happened around what Daniel did and why he's there uh, yeah so you see kind of a Scar get Jack drunk with the moonshine and then Daniel makes out with his wife uh, who's you know I think and, and kind of the look on his face is still like uh, how did I get a wife this hot and it's like he definitely, he's such a nerd that he had to do, he had, literally had to go to an alien planet to pull it off, which is, you know, I, I understand that. That just really jumped out to me as very awkward writing. Like, it's just full on, like, the writers decide to telegraph instead of, like, realistic storytelling. Like, imagine just, like, standing around while that kiss happened in real life. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it would be super awkward, but but it's like everyone around does the whole, like, ooh sound, um, I which, I don't know, it's just, and they, I think there's probably some sort of musical score that's associated with those two that plays, if I remember correctly, but I don't know, I mean, what... It's it's funny because I think a lot of the time Daniel ends up being more of a sex icon than Major Carter. He's meant to be like such a stereotypical nerd, but like he's also jacked as hell. Yeah, he punches stereotypes in the face. <laughs> so we have a very brief scene where we see the uh, soldier who is initially captured by Apophis, who gets killed after a failed attempt to transfer a gold. God, I, I can't I can't separate the syllables for that. Like it's ugh, well, go out old. Neither can any of the actors. <laughs> <laughs> but I that kind of felt to me like a old Tinder, because cause like the snake thing came out of the belly and it swiped left on that post, and that's <laughs> how I imagine it is for them. Like Apophis goes through and blows up. Literally, it's always the first room. He's like, oh, I wonder what this planet is like. I wonder what kind of, you know, lovely people that I could stick, you know, my future wife into. And he checks one room <laughs> and then and then heads back out. And there's all, like... <laughs> and and that's, that's Google Tinder. I guess that's kind of what it's like in real life, too. That really got to me the farther the episode went on. Because it's just like, holy shit, like... Can't he just like go and survey his village and pick some people? Like, why is why is he doing this? Like, there's so much work and danger associated with this. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, and he only brings like eight guards. And you would think that if this happens all the time on these other planets, that they would have some sort of defenses, even if it's bows, bows and arrows. I mean, we see many episodes later in the series where, like, it's a noted thing that they know that sometimes the Jaffa just come through the gate and take yeah, people. Yeah, and they... Like, there's entire episodes around that premise. Yeah, and they, and they just totally don't do anything. But I, I don't know. Apparently... Well, I don't know. I guess I guess they the, uh, the Ghoul do have everyone fooled that they're, like, unstoppable gods, so there's no point in even trying. But even then... I like either way. Um, I I do feel like uh, I do feel like this is closely linked to Gould Tinder because like in the same way of that they just go into one room and spend a few minutes there. That's what most of these first dates are like from that thing. Then you just end up swiping left anyway, and you're always you're always searching for a ten 
it's it's always like and that's basically what they're doing it's like well yeah there's there's some eights in the village that would do the trick but i want like a stone cold 10 so i'm so i'm gonna so i'm gonna invade the galaxy <laughs> that's one way to find a date yeah so thinking about the gold being untouchable gods they basically like speed exposition the idea of the Stargate network. Daniel leads them into this um, cavern. Oh, that's probably not the right word. It's just full of glyphs and glyphs and glyphs everywhere that he claims would take a lifetime to figure out. And he basically explains that they all appear to be codes on the dial home device. And he theorizes that even though they don't actually directly work, perhaps accounting for, like, interstellar drift, they're all coordinates similar to, like, the Abydos Earth coordinate system. Yeah, and they also kind of can explain away why the Stargate was shape shaking so much for dramatic effect early on. I actually thought that was a pretty neat way to tie everything up. Um, I think I missed that comment. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, I don't know, I think it was in there somewhere, but... Um, yeah, I actually thought that was quite a neat way of uh, tying everything up. And I think, I don't know, it works pretty much for the whole rest of the series, which is nice. Uh, you don't really have to do any head canon to kind of retcon some of the logical holes that were left in the story there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a very fast narrative, but like it was quite well done because it very quickly goes like, okay, here's our, here's our universe, here's like our logical discovery of it, and here's why like it is technically a retcon that just seamlessly works. Yeah, and it, I don't know. I think I like that it explains other things as well, um, which like notably like why does the gate shake at first and not later? I thought that was pretty good. Um, but yeah. It is cool that they like specifically don't have a dial home device for Earth. Yeah, and they yeah they have their supercomputer on the base, which is probably about as powerful as like our cell phones now. That can yeah. that can that can calculate three new base locations a month or whatever. Yeah, conven conveniently they said like two or three. It's like oh, that's that's almost like a season of television like, back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. What do you know? <laughs> I'm. I mean, like, if anyone needs a ancient Egyptian ruins, like cleanup filter, it's those guys. <laughs> I definitely had another little ping of nostalgia as they first entered, like, the initial gate room on Abydos. Just like, oh yeah, here's like the big square room shot up high, full of sand. Like, that's such a classic scene opening in stargate yeah i guess yeah high above the gate and it's either filled with sand or it's like in basically a forest it's one of those two yeah definitely a lot of like very recognizable yeah exactly forms. it's probably not as obnoxious to you because you didn't grow up here but like it's it's like so many places look like they could be places i've been in fact there's actually a lot of places in stargate oh yeah I it's literally been. just the forest outside of vancouver where we've been all the time <laughs> Yeah, if you get out in the forest enough, like, you can almost recognize Like, oh, yeah, I've, you know, this is where those, you know, both of those episodes from SG-1 were, and also, you know, it's like, well, I remember Teal chasing the Jaffa through here, and also I remember when Ronan chased the Ray through here. 
he they both hit right behind that lug. Like, yeah, it's definitely um, just the same kind of area. So we have a very ominous scene that happens back in the gate room where there's just like a single opening of someone commenting about how Shari is such a beautiful woman. And you just you just know immediately immediately like a good couple seconds before the gate starts dialing what's gonna happen yeah uh yeah i guess um i guess i've seen it enough like enough times that it was just not gonna surprise me no matter what but i mean yeah like i i guess yeah that that would be pretty easy to figure out but yeah there's another there's another massacre of the jaffa so i guess the whole guarding it 36 hours a day it's just never going to work. Yeah, sometimes uh, sticks or whatever they're using aren't very effective. Well, I mean, they had the, they had the guns. I mean, Teal'c even walks up to one of them and says, this is not your weapon. Where did you get it? Indeed. You start to see them planting the seeds for Teal'c turning because he's very clearly, like, wincing every here and there and, like, not being aggro when it would be more typical of a Jaffa to be. Yeah, that's true. They're making it, yeah, they're again, they're kind of foreshadowing uh, that he's kind of not really happy with his job. I'm sure I'll pick on it less as we go, but definitely, like, Stargate really, really likes doing very ham-fisted foreshadowing of things. Yeah, I guess I can't really think of too many examples right now, although there have already been a couple in this episode uh, that we've picked out, but yeah. Also, Teal'c's facial expressions, uh, I think. I feel like they, they kind of calm down later on in the, in the series, but at the beginning especially, they're really intense. And he's so deadpan. Yeah, he maintains more of the stone face later on. Then they kind of head back to Earth. Um, and we get... Uh, actually, one question that I had was, how do you, how do you think those actors see out of those big snake helmets uh i was wondering a bit about that my mom used to do random like industrial crafting and design stuff when she was younger which included like making mascots for things and so on typically there would be like very thin gauzy fabric that you could see through from the inside or like little holes punched or something in some kind of costume that went like over the head that must have been brutal for like all of the Jaffa in the entire episode, because you can see those those crazy helmet things bouncing around, and they're also like th- those are just so impractical. Like in terms of soldiers, I guess most of the Ghoul technology is designed more to intimidate than anything else. But I mean, uh, again, just very overdone. It's like you know somebody marches up with a snake head, and then they like make the the helmet does the big sound and then you know it snaps open and it you know teal looks ominously at everyone i definitely see why they didn't have budget but i miss the transition effects that they used in the movies whereby like the helmets basically just like sprung apart to nothing yeah i guess yeah i do remember that uh the yeah the different type of helmet i think they were bird helmets or something in the movie uh kind of un they like slowly and mechanically like retracted into nothingness yeah but yeah those yeah those helmets though must have been brutal like i was wondering about that like even even like in like our real life how does an actor see out of there and it must have been hot and just dreadful 
Yeah, I mean, it probably was made out of like thin plastic or something. It definitely wasn't metal, but even so, like that's a lot of weight to carry on like your I neck feel and like shoulders. it's it's just more awkward. Like it would be bouncing around because you can even see them. You'd have to secure it yeah, pretty uh, well. That's definitely a spot on observation, though. Like the Gould are very much god. Like maybe I should maybe I should just like go to calling them the Gould, like Jack does. But they're they're very much around looks and intimidation. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Which makes sense because they have basically no power inherently. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. It's and well, I mean, they're you know, they're it's basically the Gould, and then there's like basically their slave race who have no technology at all. Um. So they don't really need super practical, crazy technology. It just has to be scary, really, because that's how they control a large population is through fear. Um, yeah, look, if you look at the practicality of something like the hand device, like it's kind of silly, but like it's scary yeah, as hell. Because, yeah, I mean, it essentially is meant to look like space magic. I, I mean, even the staff weapons are uh, more... It, it they seem to be like more for show than uh, anything else because they're like everything else ghoul will just way overdone for like effect yeah the dramatic noise the like large slow energy particle beam whatever yeah exactly like I almost feel like if yeah it's like if any yeah regular you know fighting force went up against like you know, on Earth today, went against, like, a similar-sized fighting force of them, even though, like, it's kind of a one-hit kill. Even if we assume it's, like, a one-hit kill, it's, like, the projectiles are so slow, and so, like, you know, they're slow-moving, and they're, there's a long time in between shots. It's just, uh, you know, I feel like they would stand a good chance. Mm-hmm. And we see later on, like, there's not a whole lot of casualties, given that they're in a pretty bad situation. Yeah, yeah. So... The SU team returns to Earth, and immediately after they come through, the iris closes. Now, they were gone for like a couple hours, I think, and the iris was created and installed during this time window. Yeah, and it's a super... I... Well, how does that metal even fit? Like, how does it even work? Like I don't understand. It does. It doesn't. <laughs> like I feel. I feel like I'm going particularly hard on the series so far, but like, come on. Yeah, and the I don't know the iris. It, it it forms two microns or whatever in front of the wormhole or millimeters or whatever it is to not fully let matter reform or whatever. But I don't know. The the iris is very much a. It's the techno babble of. Stargate, like you have to give them a lot of leeway um, in order to allow them to get away with that. You just whip this up with like something like this advanced without any real forethought or time, but it's a really it's an idea that makes a lot of sense and it's really cool because like it's not just a barrier, as you say, they have it so close to the event horizon that matter can't properly form. So it's better than even just like a barrier that people can't get through because it also basically means that anything gets vaporized instead of just failing to go through because there's that rule that you can't actually go backwards through the stargate yeah that's yeah that's right um i don't know i guess yeah but the thing is they use the iris as it's similar to like i don't know the transporter in 
Stargate or even a replicator where like the rules are kind of relaxed because this the iris isn't impervious to everything like sometimes you can get through it or whatever i recall before um there were a couple there were a couple weird exceptions around like something something out of phase matter and there was a couple episodes where like they were under attack from some energy beam that was basically slowly melting the iris yeah and yeah then there was that black hole episode like the iris is just you know it's it's there for convenience for you know the writing uh and like the plot and everything but they do jump through some weird hoops to make the iris ineffective when they want it to be ineffective for an episode yeah exactly but yeah there you go so they come back they come back through and they're like ah yes welcome back also we have this iris now yeah, and then we kind of get this uh, kind of nice scene between Jack and Daniel, where Daniel gets drunk off of two sips of beer, <laughs> which, which I think we can relate to. Um, but yeah, I think actually there's there's something in here that I actually think is like actually a pretty good piece of life wisdom where Jack's he's talking about like his kid dying, and he's like, well. I think he said that he could forget but not forgive himself, but his wife could forgive him but not forget, and that was the breakdown of their marriage. And I actually think that that line of thinking can be applied pretty broadly in life, and I think it's actually like a pretty wise thing to say that actually is pretty profound if you can like remember it every now and again as you're living your life. Yeah, I agree. It was a very moving scene that kind of like, I mean, I remember it well, but it takes you by surprise in terms of the writing tone, because Jack's kind of just like the uh, pissy goof-em-up guy up until that point. Yeah, which I think is another reason why everyone likes him so much, because he does have these, like, pretty good heartfelt moments. I actually thought, I mean, like everything else, Stargate, I mean, this is pretty cheap. Like, it's cheesy, but, like, I actually thought this was quite good. Like, I thought it was a very good sentiment. Yeah, like, Jack's definitely up there for me for, like sci-fi characters in general and the range of his writing is a big part of that yeah yeah i don't i don't really remember what else happens on earth but the next thing i have written down in my notebook is that they kind of head back through the gate to a totally unguarded cold meadow type place yeah they uh one one guy freddy i believe it was had seen the coordinates that were uh, punched in right before he passed out. Yeah. And so eventually, like, he comes to, they get the coordinates from him, and then off they go to wherever Apophis went next. Yeah, and it's like, you would think that the Jaffa homeworld or any major outpost would have, like, a similar... It would have some sort of (laughs) guard. Like, there's nothing... The thing that we've kind of, like, we see more and more of in the universe is that no one but the world really uses the Stargate network. And because, like, they are mostly semi, like, the world politics are interesting in that they're always competing, but at the same time, like, they never let their competition get in the way of gold supremacy. So, like, there's, there's basically minimal threat. The humans aren't going to use it. It's, it becomes a novel thing, like in late SG-1, when just random humans decide to use Stargates. I don't, I don't know. I think that it becomes established later on that the Gould are, like, fighting each other, and uh, 
like the you know like Apophis and Ra were huge enemies, and you would think that they would have guards like at like a major outpost like Chulak. I, but it's like at, at every everywhere everywhere that the Gould are, especially Chulak though. There there should be there there should be at least one guy. Just watching it, just sitting there, like eating a whatever they eat, with like a radio or or something that that can just be like, oh yeah, a bunch of guys in green uniforms just pop through. And then they even run into a bunch of people wearing like a bunch of monks wearing like snake suits, and they're just like, oh yeah, go that way. There's the village over there. Like I don't. I mean, really, if like the, if the Google world had guards. At this point in time, it should be like a couple guys playing space poker. Yeah, yes, actually that, I mean, at least there should have been some goulds playing gould space poker, like at, at the very minimum. Yeah, so they get taken to the city, which is like a proper city and not the shitty little village that Daniel was expecting. Yep, so they go to, they go to Chulak, um... And they're kind of speaking apparently something like Arabic, and the gang gets captured for the first time in in something that happens. It's probably the first every, of many. Yeah, probably every other episode they get captured by the Gould, <laughs> like <laughs> almost one in two times that they go through the Stargate. They, actually, we should count this. So this is this is number one. All right. I am making an official tally. Okay. <laughs> the number of times that the gang gets captured. I will say that uh, it was interesting. So the Share, they were playing uh, Google Tinder again. Um, mm-hmm. With with Share this time, and this time the Google swiped right. But I actually, <laughs> I did some research on this episode. Uh-oh. I read about it. And actually the Share, the, there was nudity. Uh, and that was actually very controversial at the time. They're doing the intense visuals just for shock value, and it's kind of cheap. In my opinion, good sci-fi is part cool visuals, like FX, and I guess um, they didn't do any nudity after this in the series, so I guess the writers, or whoever's in charge of this, learned their lesson and decided to take it out, but yeah, I just think it's kind of interesting. I mean, I feel like it was it was pretty effective there, but like... I've established, like, 40, 50 minutes in already that I'm definitely picky about how heavy-handed the writers are with, like, foreshadowing or telegraphing things and, like, the way that they use nudity either to, like, symbolize that someone has lost control or that someone is, like, sexy and evil a la mirror universe gets on my nerves a little bit. Yeah, I, it di- I thought it was a bit... Like, that's, that scene worked for me, but, like, these skimpy gold outfits in general is kind of like, ugh. Well, well, like everything else gold, it's just a bit over the top. <laughs> like, Apophis is wearing a shirt that literally, it's just like the box of his chest is, like, open. It's like he's got his pecs and his abs showing and everything else is covered. Like, why? It's like, it's like a reverse t-shirt almost. Yeah, so there. So I don't know. I I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, and then I think we skip to the gang in the prison, and in this case, they're in a prison with a whole bunch of villagers from apparently all over the galaxy. 
and the big the big thing that Daniel is trying to do right now uh, is he's trying to figure out how how much of the host survives. And this is actually a, an arc that lasts for a few episodes after this. Um, actually, several. Like, it goes on for quite a long time where they don't really know how much of the original host is left. Because uh, Daniel essentially is wondering whether or not his wife is alive, which would suck uh, to not know that. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of a big question in the early days of Stargate. Yeah, I really like the level of like generalized ambiguity and confusion they have. Like Stargate does establish the rules of the universe pretty quickly, but it's kind of fun seeing everyone trying to navigate and figure out when they're just like so far out of their depth. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. That's and then you know eventually. So they're essentially wondering that and trying to figure it out, and then Scar gets taken to be the kid, and now Jack suddenly cares about this a lot too. So now Jack and Daniel both really need to figure out this question of how much of the host survives. Uh, so that's like question one, and it kind of sets up the next several episodes. Yeah, and, and then, yeah, again, we have uh, Teal'c being very visibly upset, making like a frown that is so deep that uh, I'm not sure. I actually don't even know how he does that. If I were to look in the mirror and frown as hard as I could, I would not approach that level of frown. So the big reason that he's frowning is basically after the gold go through and they do their choice picks. I did fi- I did find it pretty funny that like they were specifically checking teeth. Like I guess it makes perfect sense, but it's just like one of those so stereotypical things. So after they've taken their pick, I guess they have gotten everything that's a ten star rating. Is it that like <laughs> yeah. they don't have any more any more gold to larva to give host for? Apophis just goes okay kill them all, and walks out. And that gets a <laughs> really big frown from Mr. Frowny. Yeah, exactly. It's So he really hates slaughtering the innocent, and it just seems like kind of a waste. But yeah, so he... And, and what I notice here, though, is Jack Jack apparently noticed all of the frowning. I mean, it, I guess it would be hard to miss. You would think that Apophis would have noticed. Really. Indeed. Um... But, yeah, like uh, he's making he's making these faces all the time as he just stands around. Like, yeah, exactly. And he even he even un, undoes his helmet in order to frown. So it's like, <laughs> like it's like if you're gonna make those faces, at least put the helmet back up. Um, but he doesn't even do that. Yeah. So, but what I notice is, you know, Jack O'Neill is like, "Hey, help help me get out of here. I can save everyone in here." <laughs> and then. Uh, Teal kind of pauses and eventually decides, yeah, you know what? I know enough about this guy to risk everything. And then he uh, turns on one of the guards and kills the guards. And then the guards keep slaughtering the innocent. They're not like, oh, well, I guess we better shoot the guy that's shooting us. And then, you know, O'Neill picks up a weapon and it shows it's like a back and forth. It's like a firefight back and forth, like uh, cause and effect. Jaffa can rival stormtroopers for their aim. Oh man, but they, but it's like Jack and Teal can shoot a Jaffa or two, and then it zooms back to the Jaffa, and they're firing into the crowd, and then it shoots back to you know Jaffa or like you know Teal can Jack, and they kill another couple of Jaffa, and then the Jaffa continue firing on, you know they keep slaughtering the innocent, and it's like, I just don't like, what I don't know what was you like was that stormtrooper level inaccuracy or was that like 
Well, I don't even know what that was. I didn't, like, watch too closely frame by frame. It definitely stuck out to me as, like, holy shit, I can't believe Tilk basically single-handedly took down all these guys. <laughs> but I didn't specifically notice them still firing into the crowd after that. Yeah, they, I, it looked to me like they were not even trying to hit Jack and Tilk. They were like, oh man, well, I guess we'd better kill everyone in here before they kill all, before these two guys kill all of us. Like, that's so, almost, like, what it seemed like. So prior to Tilk turning, you have, like, a good little mini scene of, I think, Tilk asking where they're from. And they draw out, like, the, the A, Earth, Stargate symbol. Oh, and yeah, he that's just, right. just, like, very aggressively wipes it out and storms away. Yeah, he erases it. But it also kind of makes me think, like, Daniel, you fucking idiot. Why would you tell him this? I mean, Apophis like, already has the coordinates, and furthermore, that's not meaningful on its own, I don't think. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess Apophis did just kind of wander in. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I mean, it's enough for Teal to know. I mean, I'm pretty sure what they're, like, telegraphing later is the fact that, like, the Tauri, as they call Earth, is quite important, because that's where humans actually came from. Yeah. So Teal can pretty much figure out, you know, what's going on, but... Yeah, I mean, after that, they kind of run out, and there's kind of a number of epic battle scenes as they run through the cold forest towards back towards the Stargate. Um, I don't know, what did you see? Did you notice anything here other than them spending like half of their FX budget for the season? I had, a, I had a hard time taking the outdoor stuff seriously because as well as looking like it's basically like outskirts of Burnaby. Yeah. It just, it felt like such a silly place. Like the Stargate prop looked out of, or the uh, pedestal prop rather for the Stargate looked kind of out of place. And like they very clearly like, just like drove into a quarry, placed a couple yep. props down and went. Like the lands, the landscape looks so bizarre. Yeah, I totally agree. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, "Is this a quarry?" Um, you you clearly you clearly see an area where like trucks or something have gone through and have like wiped out some of like one of the ledges. Yeah, so I mean, it's basically uh, and there's like chest high walls all dotted around the Stargate for very convenient cover. Uh, and there's like you know there's explosions and there's the Stinger missile taking down the. Death Glider, which is a... I mean, it's just a hilarious name. I mean, Death Glider. That's a bad ship design if you have to point your <laughs> ship directly at the target. Yeah, you would think that they would have... Well, also, Teal shoots one down with one staff weapon blast. So they're pretty fragile, apparently, also. I mean, like, I... Like, I think, I think you were right. I was a bit too generous about the fact that, like, there is a lot of gold infighting. But... They are basically unchallenged. Like, the infighting, although it's a thing, like, it's almost an unspoken rule that, like, you may never threaten the supremacy of the Gua'uld as you're fighting someone else for some kind of dominance. Humans are totally cowed in this ambition here. So yeah. I definitely think, like, they are complacent and they are fairly vulnerable. That's true, but you know who wasn't cowed into submission? It was that barbarian guy who was throwing rocks at the Gould from behind the chest-high walls, who was who had, like, a much higher accuracy rate and threat level than any of the Jaffa with the advanced weaponry. Did you see that yes. guy? That yes, was... so 
we like we need to come up with something along the lines <laughs> of like the drunk Shimoda or the who's your who's your guy because like I already <laughs> episode one I already have a guy and it's it's him yes yes that guy he was like that was like the Chewbacca of Stargate like <laughs> that guy was nuts like he was just a badass he was like roaring and it was you know uh i don't know he was pretty he was pretty legit but probably my favorite character of the whole episode and yeah i don't know there was a terrible accuracy um generally speaking from the jaffa they blew all of their fx budget um in the quarry uh and then yeah everybody goes home and then they're like yeah well we have a whole bunch of alien refugees now and General Hammond is like, this is going to be an unbelievable amount of paperwork. <laughs> and, and obviously is a little bit annoyed. But um, that's pretty much, I think that was pretty much the end of it, yeah? Yeah. There was a funny little thing that I picked up on when they had all the crowd of people, which is that, like, they had little snippets of background English that started creeping up, like, maybe two-thirds of the way through the episode. Under, understandably so, Stargate does make the change, like, I think basically app two, that, like, everyone just speaks English because the logistics of otherwise get pretty awkward. But just, like, the fact that these are people who allegedly can't speak English and, like, you keep hearing sentence snippets in English was pretty funny to me when they're just, like, told make lots of noise and pretend to be under fire. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it's funny because, like, they do, because the interaction that Daniel had with the uh, monks... And everyone, he's like, oh, they're speaking something like Arabic and blah, blah, blah. And then Jack O'Neill's like, just whatever, Daniel, just talk to him. But then, like, you know, obviously Apophis just speaks perfect English with, you know, it's like the evil dialect, though. I mean, I feel like Stargate's a bit more of, like, a fantasy type sci-fi. So I can just, because it doesn't do any strange technobabble, I just give it a pass as to everyone can speak English. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I guess that's something that you can't... It's like the iris. You can't read too far into it. Yeah, like, it's it's a challenging problem to write around, no matter what. Yeah, it is. And it definitely... I mean, I kind of appreciate it. Like, I would rather they just speak English than, than like, do it properly and have, <laughs> you know, Daniel translate every line... <laughs> that said, I wish I I'm always appreciative when we have those scenes where Daniel's trying to translate and da- Jack is just like eye rolling in soft focus the entire time. Yeah, I love it cuz I that we even got a hint of that in like the uh the cartoon scene where you know they walk into the room and Daniel's like, "My god, look at how cool this place is. It's so awesome. Like it would take a lifetime to study this." And Jack's like, well, just tell me what it is in, like, one sentence. <laughs> and Daniel's like, no, that's literally impossible. Like, this place is so cool. It would take, like, it would take, like, two days just for me to scratch the surface. And Jack's like, literally, you have seven words, go. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, like, that's, like, basically how he treats Daniel for the whole series. It's a very funny relationship. Like, it follows a lot of tropes that I find really, like, irritating or boring but the exact way that they've written those characters really works for me similar to sam as like the more kind of middle reasonable person like she's less of the geek and more of like the reasonable communicator yeah that's true yeah she does i guess she does kind of balance out um those two but yeah anyway i mean that 
that was the episode. So you said so you said that you generally liked the episode. I would give it like three out of five. I'm I'm so happy to be back in Stargate again. Like as soon as like they start calling out Chevron locked, just like <laughs> I I feel like I'm home again. But they definitely were cramming like a huge amount of exposition into something fairly short, and parts of it felt like very compacted or very kind of stretched out and thin. Wasn't a bad episode, but like definitely beats out like Encounter at Farpoint for starting a series. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, well, it's better than the first episode of the Next Generation. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think. I mean, you need this episode to bridge the gap between the movie and the series. I I think I pretty much agree with you. Parts of it were quite good. Like the I you know like the I think that honestly probably one of my favorite parts of the episode was. Um, Jack and Daniel in his in his place where Jack is like, well, I could uh, forget but not forgive. Wife could forgive but not forget. I thought that like that was quite good. Um, but then there's like the extended running through the quarry with explosions part, which was really not that good. I thought. Um, yeah, that was a bit one of the stretched out parts. Yeah, yeah, and it's definitely they're just like so it just felt a bit um, much in places and and i mean all of the actors are finding their feet with like their characters which happens with every you know that that happens with every series and they're definitely still in that phase there's just some awkwardness there with the acting so what are you most excited about now that we're back in season one because i actually don't remember the season very well yeah i'm having some trouble remembering it too i'm excited for when we see satnik tells for the first time I'm excited. Really, I'm excited to see Teal'c. I think that Teal'c has... Teal'c is, like, one of my favorite characters ever. Uh, and I'm basically just excited to, like, laugh at <laughs> just how he... <laughs> like, just, like, his deadpan nature. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm really looking forward to kind of, like... O'Neill settling into the acting that he does as well as the writing for him because like they definitely they start him like on character right off the bat but like pretty quickly he becomes like a little bit more laid back and sarcastic like just amp amping that up even more and that's what I really like about him yeah I'm also looking forward to the episode where they all revert into like apes <laughs> um I for some reason that's like one of my favorites. I think it actually I don't might be the next that. episode. Yeah, they they all get this virus. I think it's in the first season. They all get this virus where they turn into like uh basically chimpanzees and that I am stoked. I I really like the buddy relationship that O'Neill and Tilk wind up evolving. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, Thank they, you that. I'm, ex I'm excited for that episode where the like the two of them are constantly reliving a time loop. That's probably one of my favorite episodes of the series. Yeah, I'm uh, also has some like, very one. good and very clunky bottle episodes. Feels like they do a lot of bottle episodes for like a TV series at that time. Well, the, all, there's always a couple at the tail end of any season they always have uh like a like the strung oh, together flashback yeah, I, was, I was thinking about that are we gonna skip end? those or are we just gonna like get extra drunk and suffer through them 
actually, we're going to have to figure out a way of dealing with those. Um, I think John, I think General Hammond would have been my guy for this episode. He also roasts O'Neill. He's like, yeah, well, this... He's Because O'Neill's like, oh, I don't want a scientist general. And, and like, General Hammond's like, dude, she's like the fucking smartest person in the world. Get over yourself. <laughs> it's It's so legitimately fun when, like... O'Neill comes in and he's being he's being all smarmy and he's showing everyone, yeah, like I don't have time for this. I've I've seen and done this before. <laughs> and then like Im- immediately Hammond puts the boot in his yeah. ass and like adopts the O'Neill attitude of like, well, since like you blew- tried to blow this thing up and it didn't work, I guess we're just going to like use a bigger nuke and it's not going to like do anything cuz everything's already destroyed. Like he's just like completely flips the table. It's not just that he, he turns the table around, it's that, like, he's doing the O'Neill attitude. Yeah, actually, yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's why I liked it. Yeah, I, I did, uh, I did like the Daniel scene, though, where he got drunk off of two sips of beer, which is probably because they had to shoot that scene, I don't know how many times, and if he drank any more beer than that, he actually would have gotten drunk. Set dressers just put water in stuff like that, if they possibly Oh, yeah, can. actually, that's probably what they did very much like an in-universe choice that Daniel acts like that because he just like Lua takes a sip and goes like wow wow, this is going to my head like (laughs) yeah chemically speaking it takes a tiny bit of time to hit your bloodstream even from like your mouth and and, uh before like right before that he like blows his nose for like a minute straight (laughs) yeah I really enjoyed the Kleenex thing yeah it was good stuff but then, yeah, but then we never see it again after this. Like, his allergies are cured in episode two. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, like, now that he lives in the modern world, he can have allergy medication. Yeah, but... I guess. That's true. Anyway, yeah, I think, uh... yeah, so, yeah, if not for the barbarian guy, who was most certainly my guy, would have been General Hammond. Yours would have been Daniel. Yeah, anything else? I'm excited to kind of rediscover what the cliches are in Stargate, because the only thing that's really coming to mind is, like, the whole Chevron-locked thing. Uh, cliches? I mean, the ghoul, everything they do is cliche. <laughs> well, well I, I guess, like, <laughs> if if we're talking, like, outside of very specific memes, like, yeah, the ghoul are pretty... I would say textbook bad guys, but I'm sure, like, textbooks on how to write are better yeah, than Yeah, I guess we could have, like... <laughs> Which which TV trope did they do the best in this in this episode? <laughs> What's our method of like skipping or threatening to skip? Because we we should have the veto system somehow. I guess in the in case that anyone ever listens to yeah. this, <laughs> we're we're largely like coming off of the like off of uh, the Greatest Generation podcast, which is a Star Trek podcast, trying to do our own like two people on a porch hanging out version of that and they had a thing in their first like tng run where they each had one veto meant to be because like tng has some horrific clunkers (laughs) as does stargate and so the idea was meant to be that they saved themselves but every single time for all seven seasons they veto and they counter veto and nothing happens yeah so like you you joke about that but there's some god awful ones. Like I don't, I don't want to watch the first. It's the the McKenzie, the senator, which is like ten episodes senator in. McKenzie. Well, yeah, and it's literally they're just trying to save money for the final episode because they have 
they spent the first half of their FX budget in the uh, so in the quarry. If memory, if memory serves, Senator McKenzie is Jellico from TNG. Uh, that's a good question. Let me see. There's a there's a huge amount of actor. Well, crossover. yeah, I mean it's sci-fi. Like, um, They're all from Vancouver anyway. John DeLacy plays some random like bad guy in the government. Let's see. All right, uh, Jellico. This is the Googling section. What's Edward Jellico? Who is he played by? Oh my god, it is it's him. Ronnie Cox uh, and Senator Mc, Senator <laughs> McKenzie. I think he comes up a couple times. Senator McKenzie? Yeah, he ends up being like one of the main bad guys. Senator McKenzie Stargate. Robert, uh, Senator Kinsey. Robert Kinsey. And he is played by, yep, Ronnie Cox. That's him. Yeah, that's like his. That's like his intro. Is basically they play a clip show of like the nine episodes previous. Yep. See, it's it's interesting because like Stargate is really good at setting up a decent premise for clip shows. Like it's oh we're having a hearing about something, but then like they they do that very lazy thing where it's just playing like five minutes of like some random scene unedited that like doesn't really fit. Yeah, I it's I mean it's obvious what they're trying to do. They're just trying to uh, they're just trying to save money. But I, you know, but but we should have some vehicle of skipping these, but because because like, there's no reason to watch those, really. Agreed. So do we do we just want to do like one veto each? Yeah, I guess we'll start with that. Maybe we could have our own twist on it. Oh man, maybe we should. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to give it some thought. But yeah, we we have until because that's the episode that I think we're both thinking of. So we have yeah. un- until then, we have until then to think of some sort of skipping mechanism. I mean, I like the idea of vanilla vetoes. We could like there, like it's, there's there's a lot of clunkers in SG One. Like there's typical clunkers, and then there's the clip show episodes. Like people people like to point at like Shades of Grey and TNG, and like yeah, that's bad, but it's one clip show in seven seasons. Yeah, Stargate has one or two per season. So I I give modern television a hard time for being like oh like twelve episodes a season isn't enough but at the same time if I look back like yeah writers couldn't figure out how to fill like twenty five stories yeah and yeah they're also I mean nowadays you have like one coherent story whereas it used to be twenty six single stories yeah if we decide to change our mind arbitrarily later we can okay well I think I don't know I think that's a that's a wrap for this episode um yeah yeah it's a good start what is the next episode uh stargate season one episode two no i guess it's is it uh kowalski yes that's right it is kowalski the enemy within so kowalski yeah so we're going to continue to try to answer the question how much of the host survives in the next episode um so i'm i'm actually kind of excited for this i don't remember it super well and hopefully there'll be some good stuff in there. So another running tally that I'm going to keep is episodes of Stargate that also share a name with an episode of Star Trek. Because The Enemy Within is an episode of Star Trek. So which episode was that? Um, It's a TOS episode. Oh no, where that doesn't count. Kirk gets split into a good Kirk and an evil Kirk. I should recognize the name because I have a Star Trek lipstick by that name, which is, like, pretty big geek check right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is true. Uh, what color is the lipstick? Um, it's like a shiny, very light gold. A bit, a bit uh, lighter than Apophis's lipstick, which <laughs> is quite bold. I actually have something like his, though, which is quite yeah, good. Yeah, there you go. Maybe you could be Apophis <laughs> for <laughs> Halloween at some point wearing that lipstick. Yeah, I guess, yeah, he is. Be quite he does shirt. have quite a bit of makeup on. That is, like, full-on, uh, full-on makeup. Yeah, I mean, most of the, most of the girl will do. I think it's an aesthetic that works pretty well. Yeah, I guess. I guess it's, they're playing on the whole Egyptian thing. Anyway, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, that's a wrap for the episode.